0: Welcome to Tap the Craft, an informational podcast about craft beer, targeting the everyday beer drinker. My name is Denny Luce, and joining me tonight is my buddy, John Ream. Hey, everybody. John and I, uh, we met during my stint in the 40-cast. Actually, I was doing a segment during the 40-cast called The Brew Buzz, where we talked about craft beer, kind of like what we're doing right now on this podcast. And John was my very first listener that actually wrote in to comment or critique some of my enthusiast beer speak because I told you guys earlier in the shows that I'm not an expert. I'm an enthusiast. So I will be wrong at times. And John, why I adore him so much is that he doesn't hesitate to correct me when I'm wrong. So there was no better person in my mind to come and second chair with me on our podcast than John because he will tell me straight up whether I'm full of crap or if I'm uh, on the the straight and narrow. So like I mentioned, John and I are craft beer enthusiasts, meaning we enjoy drinking and learning about craft beer. Tap the Craft is a podcast focused on talking about the craft beer hobby in layman's terms, not elitist speak. We believe entry into craft beer should be an enjoyable experience, so we want to help you learn about craft beer so you too can become a craft beer enthusiast. So whether you are well-experienced Or new to craft beer, there should be something for you. We are not experts on the topic and I am not a brewer, but luckily John is a home brewer and can provide some brewing insight to our conversations. We may misspeak on occasion and we encourage our listeners to write into the show and provide your experiences and knowledge. This is episode three, recorded on August 25th, 2014, and in this episode we will learn about our new host craft beer journey we'll discuss a few beer tastings we'll learn how to taste beer like a pro as well as discuss some craft beer industry news well it looks like it's happy hour and craft beer show wouldn't be much of a show if we didn't drink some beer so let's pop the top or pull
1: a tab and see what's flowing into our glasses tonight so john what are you drinking tonight So tonight I am enjoying a Firestone Walker Oktoberfest. It's their Oktoberfest that they release in the fall. It's very refreshing, a lot of malt flavor, and really enjoying this one tonight. Easy drinking.
0: Okay, uh, easy drinking is good. So (laughs) this is one of their typical seasonals, or is this a new seasonal for Firestone Walker?
1: I think this one's been around for a a little while.
0: Okay. Okay. I'll have to look that one up because I don't think I've had that one. We do get Firestone Walker in my area, but uh, I have—I don't think I've actually had their
1: Oktoberfest. So,
0: you think it's worth me trying?
1: Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's—it's it's really easy to to get into. I'd recommend this for anybody to try it out. Okay, excellent,
0: excellent. Well, I am also drinking. I have been drinking for a while tonight because I' celebrating my early arrival from work. So I went ahead and just. Started popping down beer. So I got this Widmer Brothers sampler pack. It's a 12-pack of three different beers. I drank all three different types tonight. And you know what? This sampler pack is pretty good. I don't know officially what the name of the sampler pack is, but it has it has one beer from Kona Brewing. It was called the Lemongrass Luau. Pretty, pretty light. It had the fat... Oh, I just... Uh, well, I had another light IPA, but the one I'm drinking right now is the one actually from Widmer Brothers, and it is called the Double Mac, and it is also a Session IPA that is a very good Session IPA. I I know that the Session IPA is kind of a, a fairly new type of style. It's a it's a take-off the IPA where it's it doesn't have to be such a, a high-gravity IPA to be enjoyable. You can still get those hop Flavors and aromas that you like, without having the heavy, the heavy uh, body and also the gravity. So, uh, have you had a chance to to try the double mac, John?
1: I have not seen that one yet in my area, but I've been getting quite a few of the session IPAs this summer. So they're, yeah, they're really nice. Especially the hops can be a little overwhelming in the heat. Mm-hmm. So, um, those light IPAs can be can be really really nice in the summer. Yeah. Yeah, I've I've also enjoyed the
0: Session IPA style or, or light IPA because I've seen them, but you know depending on the brewer they'll label either Session or Light and I don't know if it's because the the ones that are labeling Light they don't want to you know a sessionable beer is usually what under four point five percent alcohol is that? Uh
1: yeah, I think that's pretty.
0: Yeah, usually four point five or four yeah. percent, and I think because these are still up there at the. Right at the five percent or just below five, I think maybe some of these brewers might be feeling a little uneasy n- labeling it with a session in
1: on, in front of it. What do you, you think that's might be possible? That's possible. I'm I'm kind of surprised they they went with light though because it you know has some connotations of the the big brewers. Ah. Um, so I haven't actually seen anything labeled light IPA here, but I'm surprised that somebody actually used that term.
0: Well, well, you know what? That somebody is right there in your neighborhood. Really? Yeah, it's Red Hook. Ah. Uh-huh. And, and well, I just they, like,
1: yeah, they're they're associated with the big brewers. I think <laughs> A, A B <laughs> A B InBev owns like thirty three percent of them. So okay,
0: okay. So maybe that maybe A B InBev decided they wanted to get craft beer
1: into the hands of people that drink light beers. Yeah. So I mean, supposedly. A b doesn't actually have any influence in the brewery. It's merely a distribution agreement, yeah, um, but uh yeah, I guess they they could get a little influence, I suppose. <laughs> all right,
0: well, good. Well, we got our beer going, so let's go in into the meat of the show. That's the brew buzz segment, and this is devoted to discussing the various beer related topics, anything from beer tasting notes to commonly used terms. Even some explanations of beer styles to brewery spotlights, and even some drinking accessories, which we'll hit later. Uh, we may even combine a few of these elements into a single discussion points to provide a more complete understanding of the topic. And like last week, I want to kind of jump in. I think I like putting our beer speak segment, you know, right in the in the front because you know I want people to, as we talk about these beer tastings, it's it can really be helpful to understand about the, the different terms and different ways of, of tasting beer. So this this week or this episode, um, and again, let me say my little tagline here. If you're going to walk the walk, then it's time to learn to talk the talk. And uh, this week, we're going to talk about how to taste beer. And John, uh, I'm going to let you start this off because we had a, a little bit of a, a disagreement Not really. We decided that we both agreed on the same thing, but you kind of changed up the flow here. So I want to let you go ahead and talk about the first aspect
1: of tasting a beer. Yeah. So and this this takes right on off of uh, what you talked about in the last episode. This is the aroma. You know, I think the first thing you want to do once you you pour out your beer is to get your nose right in the glass and just get a get a good sniff in there. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, when you when you pour out that beer and that carbonation starts popping, you're gonna have some some aromas that might not last very long. They're gonna be real fleeting, mm-hmm. they can take off and you wanna be in there to, to catch those when the when they get into your glass. So start out with a couple of short, quick sniffs. I've heard it described kinda like a, a dog panting in the <laughs> summer. Um Wow. So um you know that that can get you in there without overwhelming right away your your nose and, and your palate and, and you can get nice deep deep sniff and and try to pull out the, the malt and the hops any of that yeast character so I, I think it, it I think that's really where you want to start when you when you're tasting your beer mm mm-hmm. no I, I agree with you and uh, you mentioned too that
0: a lot of times when you first sniff a beer there might be one element in that beer that really grabs your you know, your interest or your, your, you know, whatever it is, the first thing you smell. Like for me, when I grab a beer and it's got a lot of hops, the first thing I usually will smell is is the hops. And I typically get, you know, I, I when I get that hop aroma in my nose, everything else disappears. I can lose that malt, little malt sweetness that might be in there too because the hops kind of overwhelm it. So um, you mentioned not getting fixated on a certain aroma because, you know, it might, it might get a little too...
1: Uh, overwhelmed with with that smell is that is that what you've uh, experienced? Yeah, and and a little judging trick um, that I picked up uh, judging homebrew competitions is just take a real deep sniff of your forearm, um, and it, it sounds really weird, <laughs> uh, but it's actually you know you're you're smelling uh, you know what you're you're used to all the time. It, it's something that is familiar, mm-hmm. and it'll kind of reset everything so you can dive back in and kind of pick up all those all those flavors again and and that actually works
0: you i mean you use that to be able to remove
1: whatever's stuck in your nose between beers that you taste it, yeah it, wow. yeah if you look around a judging room you'll see a bunch of people are just smelling their arms and you're like what are they doing it's, <laughs> it's a beer competition but uh yeah wow that's good advice and
0: now it's something that i might now Oh, well we'll get to I'll ask you another question later on if something else works for another thing but all right so we got the aroma aromas we've determined the aroma is very very important to the beer tasting experience because you know what your nose is provides a lot of that uh, you know the smells that you smell is a lot of the flavor you're end up getting in the back of your in your throat too so the aroma is very important but the next thing after you after you go ahead and you take a a couple of sniffs and you get that aroma and, you, and you're feeling that beer. You can go ahead and set it down and you can kind of take a glance at it because we have it in the proper glassware. And we haven't really talked on the show about glassware. Maybe next episode or the one after, we'll go ahead and list some common glassware that people should be should have in their in their homes to properly taste these beers and to, to get the full effect out of them. But once you have that beer in a glass, part of the excitement, at least for me is that when I see a beer that has a coloring or some characteristic that I can see that that gets my that kind of wets my appetite, right? If I see a nice dark malt, you know, I can't even see through it stout, I know I I can anticipate that that stout is going to be very you know, heavy and and will have a lot of flavor, a lot of robust robust malt. So you want to take next thing is appearance. You want to look at the coloring of the beer. You also you want to admire the bubbles. Because beer is carbonated, and even though there can be different levels of carbonation in the beer, it's still certain beers, when they have the bubbles coming up, really look kind of, you know, pretty. You know, it's kind of a a nice look to see in a, especially a, a Pilsner or a lighter colored beer. If you have a nice tall fluted glass, watching those bubbles go up
1: is mesmerizing. I mean, I really enjoy watching the carbonation. The carbonation comes up and a lot of times you get that wonderful like moose type head like yeah thick and it's real thick really fine bubbles that just hold together Mm. it's gorgeous
0: yeah you know what and that's you just you just walked right into the head right the head can be it can be anything from a head that's kind of flimsy and doesn't last long to a head that can be like you said those those very small bubbles that just cling to each other and, and build up a nice, thick, fluffy, cloud-like, you know, head. that And especially, like I mentioned, that's, you know, I'm a huge stout fan, so when I see a, choc- a stout that has a coffee-colored thick head, uh, it just makes my mouth water. So the, the appearance can definitely uh, affect your anticipation of a beer. Uh, and one other thing, so the head and the lacing. Lacing, we haven't talked about lacing, but lacing is... Once the head starts to dissipate, you're going to have what's left of the head stick to the sides of the of the glass. And if it so, if it has lacing, it means that that head was pretty sticky. And those what John, what is in the in the the lacing that what causes a beer to have a lacing that actually clings to the side of glass and, and lasts there all the way to the end of the beer? Is it the the oils in the
1: in the hops or? Uh, actually, it's not oils. Oils will uh, break up. The- uh, the head of a beer what what you're looking for there is uh, uh different proteins that'll stick around and uh oh. form that head and when you're when you're drinking actually um just because a beer doesn't leave a lot of lacing doesn't necessarily mean that that it, it was a poor part of the beer it could actually be that your glass wasn't uh, pro- properly clean clean yeah rinsed um okay. If you have any of that any small amount of soap residue left over that we, we wouldn't be able to taste necessarily, but it's enough to break down those proteins and and uh, not let it form. Okay. So, wow, that's that's great. Also, I I hear
0: that you know all those all those uh, restaurants that love to serve their hefeweizens with a lemon or orange slice on the side, that will
1: also dissipate a head pretty quick too, won't it? Yeah, don't fruit the beer. <laughs> yeah. It's got enough of those wonderful characters on its own. <laughs> uh, excellent, excellent.
0: All right, so after appearance, we want to take, want to go ahead and take a, a little
1: taste of that beer. What do you think, John? What, how how do you taste your beer? So I would start just taking a real small sip, not even thinking about it. Just kind of swish it in your mouth a little bit and swallow. It'll kind of set your palate. Better, be ready to. To enjoy the beer and wipe away anything that that was just in your mouth, mm-hmm. um, whether you're eating something or drinking something else, or even just another beer, um, and then you know, take a bigger sip, let it hit all over your tongue, all your different Receptors. sweet <laughs> and yeah, sweet sour, all that, and it, you'll be amazed if you if you really focus on letting it hit your whole tongue, how much more will come out of a beer as opposed to maybe when you take a sip and you miss that front part and it just hits the back of your mouth and it can really help open it up.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Excellent. Excellent. So
0: now brings the second part of my question I was going to ask you on the aroma. So for taste, what is the preferred method to cleansing your palate after you drank – let's say I drank a a hoppy beer, but now I want to drink something that I want to be able to appreciate some of the flavors that are more subtle – and I don't want that bitter hoppiness to overwhelm my taste buds. What's the? Do you have a recommended way of cleansing a palate before
1: you go to another beer that might be lighter? So most, at least judging events, you'll see oyster crackers out on the table mm. and and water. Um, you do have to be careful though with the oyster crackers because if you if you eat too many to to kind of cleanse your palate, the next beer you drink could taste, taste- crackery yeah. <laughs> or like a biscuit. So make sure you you rinse your mouth out well with water. Just to kind of make sure you wipe that off, otherwise yeah. you, you could get a you could be mistaken on your next next beer. Okay, so
0: I I do a lot of different tasters when I go to different breweries, and one of the things I always try to do is always have a glass of water with me because between beers, I really do like to swish that water around. But now I'm going to ask for some crackers too. And if they don't have oyster crackers, saltine crackers would be okay. You think or
1: yeah, or is that too uh, much? you don't you don't want too much salt. Okay. Um, But, uh, yeah, sometimes it's the best you can do that or pretzels or something like that. Okay. Okay. All right. Good.
0: That's excellent advice. Excellent advice. All right. So now we got the taste. we got the beer in our mouth. Well, guess what? There's more to do once you have that beer in your mouth. And and this is the one aspect of a beer tasting that I neglected for so many years. I mean, my early years, probably first 10 years of drinking craft beer, I didn't even pay attention to this until – Probably the last four or five years, I've really been focused. And that's the mouthfeel. And I mentioned in episode one about the body, the body of the beer and whether it's light or heavy and, and whether the mouthfeel, what the mouthfeel feels like. And I, I always neglected this. I never really paid attention until, until recently when now if, if I'm drinking a style of beer and it doesn't have the mouthfeel that I expect, then it kind of – it disappoints me and maybe it's it's the beer snob in me and maybe I shouldn't be so critical of beers that don't have what I expect because again there could be good beers that don't have exactly what I and that's what John tells me all the time right you <laughs> you say I just need to just accept it for what it is if it's a good beer it's a good beer don't worry about the nitty gritty little things but yeah i mean and you know if, you, if as long as you enjoy it that's that's a good beer right yes that's true so. that's true so in the mouth feel, you try to determine the body and what the mouth mouth feel, and it's what it basically it's just how does the beer feel in your mouth? Are there any textures that you notice when the beer is in there? And some of the textures can be uh, elements of of bitterness, or I mean, uh, of, of being dry or sticky. Uh, it could be boozy. You can it can feel thin in your mouth, like it's like water or less than water, or it can be heavy or, or syrupy when or leave a filmy you know, or leave your mouth kind of filmy after your, when it's in there. And this is one that is, it's, it's pretty easy. I mean, it, it sounds like it might be complicated to be able to tell what, the, what it feels in your mouth, but it's exactly what I said. Just put it in your mouth. And what do you feel? Does it feel like your mouth's being weighted down a little bit? Or does it feel like it's just like, you know, water trickling down your, your throat? You have any, you know, advice or anything for the mouth feel, John?
1: No, I mean, yeah, you pretty much nailed it. I mean, it's, It's what you perceive uh, there. And, I mean, thin, you're going to know right away. It's Mm going to be real watery. Mm -hmm. I mean, heavy, super thick, cough syrup-type consistency. Yeah. And then, you know, the sticky, it's uh, kind of an astringency. It's kind of uh, leaves you almost like a puckering left in your mouth. Mm. Um, So... Yeah, it's it's pretty. It's one of the more straightforward things, and yeah. and you know people can be overwhelmed with the aroma and the taste. To, you know how to describe, you know this obscure fruit that you've never had in this context before. But I think the the finish is is pretty, or the excuse me, the mouthfeel is pretty, pretty straightforward. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's it is pretty straightforward, and I think the, the for most beers. I just look for kind of a a medium-bodied or full-bodied experience, but I can appreciate the lighter side on the beers that are supposed to be lighter. But I cannot appreciate a a beer that's supposed to be full-bodied, like a stout, and it ends up being like watery thin. That's where I have my most difficulties but that's my own personal
1: yeah and and you know I'd say even even so I think it stands out more in the beers that are supposed to be a medium or full body Mm -hmm. because those those lighter beers even though they they have a a thinner body they're kind of built around that yeah so they're they're designed that way and it doesn't stand out like a sore thumb like you you know you're when you're expecting these big flavors and then it just kind of it just feels lacking in your mouth. I mean, that's, that's not the way it is for, for those lighter
0: beers. Mm -hmm. I agree. Excellent. So, Hey, how do you finish off your tasting? Swallow.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's what she said.
0: I mean, I didn't mean that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So in the finish, you know, when you, 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 you've tasted that beer, you've had that sip in your mouth and you swallow, um, you know, does it, does your mouth feel clean? Is there something kind of sticking around? Um, you know, a lot of times uh, the, the hot bitterness lingers and that, that can be really off-putting for a lot of um, new drinkers is now this there's this bitter taste in their mouth mm-hmm. um, that they're left with. Um, on the other end of that, you could have very sweet uh, flavor left over. Um, that's usually from the malt and uh, that can actually be Overwhelming as well it can be mm-hmm. very cloying and and uh, almost sickly uh, sweet yeah and I, I that's worse to me than than an overly bitter finish mm-hmm. um I, it just feels to me harder to get rid of
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: but that's my my own palate I suppose
0: so I, I have a question certain beers are expected to have certain finishes ideally. We want to have beers that are well-balanced in the, in the flavor from between bitterness and sweet. But, but it is okay at times to have that, that lingering bitterness if it's, if it's an IPA or, or a double IPA. Or is it okay not to have that finish? Is it okay to have a, a bitter finish that just stops like right there, doesn't can linger on? Is that, is that the
1: preferred method? Um, yeah, I think it all depends on the beer and really how it works in the overall you know vision of the beer you mm-hmm. know the, the, is it is it a really harsh you know bitterness that you know yeah. when you're tasting it you just hate it and now it's sticking around or was yeah. it really pleasant <laughs> and it's still there and you're like yeah this is nice okay you know so i i think it it's really dependent on on the entire makeup because you could have a a lasting bitterness that you enjoy or or something that's harsh and you just want it out of your mouth right now and mm-hmm. give somebody else the the beer to finish
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I've drank some pretty bad beers and I I just I won't leave any beer undrank. I I'm I'm a glutton for punishment that way, I guess. But if I pay, if I pay good money for a high qual you know what I was expecting to be a high quality beer, I'm not going to waste that 15 bucks on that rogue crappy donut beer that they <laughs> <laughs> that my wife made me buy I'm gonna drink it anyway had a really pretty pink bottle though it is it's a great bottle <laughs> I just wish the beer was a little bit better but uh, how do you finish off uh, I mean you see overall impression at that point you just kind of take it all in right and just give an overall en- enjoyment factor
1: yeah I mean you've you've really focused on your aroma and your taste and you know you don't take a moment to just you know how do they all play mm-hmm. in, in the same you know, glass, is is that aroma set you up for this awesome taste or you have this amazing aroma and then uh, the taste just isn't quite there. The beer is lacking after that, which unfortunately (laughs) happens way too often. Um, I know, I know. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, just that whole thing. And I mean, that's really what's important. I mean, looking for all this other stuff, it's really, it can be really helpful in your enjoyment of a beer. But at the end of the day, when you have that sip and you know, you're just sitting there with your buddies on the deck or whatever. Did you like it? Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. That's the bottom
0: line. Is did you enjoy it? What It may not have been exactly what you're expecting, but the overall experience. What you know, was it enjoyable? I, and that's where I got to be more more flexible. I think, but I'm learning. I'm still I'm, I'm I'm still work in progress. One of the things I wanted to mention is um, a lot of people don't. They don't want to drink their beer you know beyond the the cold factor. They want they don't want it to warm up and I'm amazed at sometimes when I'll drink the first half of a beer and I will not get the enjoyment out of it that I expected. But then when I let it sit a little bit and it warms up, I'm amazed at how many flavors come out after it just sits and warms. I'm not talking warms up necessarily to room temperature, but warms up to a warmer temperature that the beer completely changes. Do you have any? I mean, is that something you also experience? Is that something that? Is anything recommendations you can make on on beers as far as letting them warm a little bit?
1: Yeah, you definitely don't want them to be ice cold. Um, I think you took a little stab in the last episode, but there's a reason they want you to wait till the mountains are blue. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that that cold it it numbs your tongue. You can't yeah. you can't taste the same way. So you know, let it warm up a bit. I mean, all of our fridges are usually like 36, 37 degrees, and a lot of these beers really open up in the like upper 40s. Okay. Um, so when we're talking about warming a beer, when it's not room temperature, yeah. and that can actually yeah. end up being very unpleasant. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you just some you know in between, and you know if your beer is a little too cold, just cup it in your hands, uh, give it give it a minute or two, and, and just start drinking again.
0: Yeah, I agree. One uh, one last thing I wanted to mention too is there's been ex- times where I've tasted a beer one day and I had an experience that was maybe unsatisfactory or maybe it was just average. And then I've tried the beer on a different day for whatever reason. And it was not probably in the same six pack or same, you know, I, you know, I may have bought two 22 ounce bottles. But on the other day, I don't know if it's, just my demeanor is different or if it's a different situation or what, but I'll sample that beer and it will, and all of a sudden I'll taste something like totally different from what I tasted the first time. So one of the recommendations I can make is if you don't like a beer, give it a second try, not that same night, but wait a couple of days and give it a second try. You may find that there was something in that first tasting that wasn't right with you and you, you may actually enjoy that beer the second time you
1: try it. Yeah, that and that's that's a great point um, because there there is some bottle to bottle variation, especially with a lot of these smaller breweries that are just figuring this out. And even if it's not the beer, it could be something you had for lunch that day that yes. like shut down part of your tongue. and You know, <laughs> exactly. it's not going to revive till the next day. Yeah. So, yeah, I I agree. I would always try to give it a second chance unless it's just absolutely you know if it's something you can't even put down. Then. Yeah. I I wouldn't uh, force yourself through that again, but, you know. All right. Excellent. Well,
0: that is our Beer Speak 101 for this episode. Next, we're going to do our Check It Out episode. This is where we check out websites, podcasts, publications, applications, and such that we might find useful in your craft beer journey. And this episode, I want to talk about an accessory called... The gropener, and the gropener is a one-handed bottle opener, and uh, this was a gift from you, John. I I I still want to thank you for this this gift because it was uh, it's very unique. It's a unique bottle opener, and basically how it works is you put the I can't really describe it, but it's like
1: uh, an S-shaped. Um, It's like a metal, right? It's half brass knuckles and and half bottle
0: opener. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) That's a good explanation. So you slip this thing on your index finger, and you use your middle finger as a leverage, and it has a hook on it. And you can basically grab – you can put this on your finger, grab a bottle. At the same time, you can hook the lip of this gropener onto it and leverage down towards the bottle, and that lid will pop right off. The lid not only pops right off, but it sticks to the gropener because there's a magnet on there. And it pops that lid off in a in a in such a fashion that the cap is in perfect shape. It doesn't deform the bottle cap at, in any way, which if you're like me and you collect bottle caps for some project you're going to do sometime in the future, then it, it's a perfect bottle cap remover. It does take a little bit of practice to get used to it, but I'll tell you, I told John before the show that I've had at least six beers Uh, Opened with this thing, and now I can just like I said, I put on my finger and I just go down. I grab the beer in one fell, fluid swoop. I grab it and pop that lid off, and then I can pour it right there. Now John says he's pretty fancy that he can do some. He can (laughs) he can go ahead and swing his arms around, grab that beer, whip it over his head, and open open it
1: and not spill a drop. So yeah, channel my Western gunslinger. Yes, and uh, you know spinning that bottle up and around on my finger, grab it, pop it done yeah. <laughs> yeah
0: it's uh you know what we're gonna have to take some video john and i are usually gonna have to take videos of our best gropener opening move and put it on on the website so you guys can check it out so we'll try that um you can uh, john gave this to me so I, I was blessed by having a friend that that gave it to me but i did find it on amazon there they go they're pretty steep though in price about twenty dollars is what i saw there you can get them a little cheaper if probably those those Chinese knockoffs but but they're a little bit steep but hey you know what it's a perfect gift for the
1: beer drinker who
0: has everything
1: so. yeah yeah I was surprised when I saw the price like I was I got those in a promotion at my bottle shop local bottle shop and uh, but yeah it's definitely something very unique that you know people it's one of those things that people would really enjoy but not necessarily by themselves exactly
0: so. exactly
1: <laughs> yes so
0: John gave me the perfect gift because I have He could give me beer, but I think this is also a perfect gift because it's something that I wouldn't probably buy myself, but I'm enjoying the heck out
1: of it now that I have it. All right. Good to know I don't need to waste my beer on you anymore. (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right. So next
0: I want to go in to the Who Are You section. And because John is new to the podcast, I think it would be great to learn a little bit about John's craft beer journey. And I think he might have i uh, I've just lost the word I was thinking of, but like a, an entry entry into craft beer story for, for us. Do you have something like that, John?
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, you, you shared where you kind of came in contact with craft beer. So I figured I would do the same. So I was actually introduced to the craft beer world through my parents. So my story actually begins at the tender age of 11. Oh. Nice. Um <laughs> I was a real big lush back in those days. Uh, <laughs> no, so my, my parents, uh, you know, visiting uh, my my aunt and uncle out in D.C., we would go out, and um, the one place that really sticks out in my mind was the Old Dominion uh, Brewing Company. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, which, unfortunately, isn't around anymore. It was sold, I think, in the late 2000s, but we used to always go there, and my parents and my aunt and uncle would always get their craft, beers and my brothers and I would get the the homebrew group beer that they made there and, you know, sit, sit there in the brew pub and being around all these people who are just enjoying this beer and actually, you know, drinking in a civilized manner, yes. you know, not <laughs> uh, just going in there, getting sloshed and making a scene and all of that. And so, you know, that's how I was initially, you know, brought in and then we would go on our family vacations, you know, road trips, and everywhere we'd go, my parents would find a local brewery or brew pub. We'd stop in, and they would enjoy their their beers, and we would seek out the local root beer if they had it, and you know, just enjoy this this scene with with all these people. So mm-hmm. that's how I I initially you know came in contact with this awesome awesome community. Wow.
0: Yeah, that's. I mean, it's it's similar to my story where, again, I went to a a small little brewery and I fell in love with the environment. The beer was great. That's what I fell in love with. But I, I mentioned that it was like it's the whole social aspect that was so much fun for me that I just gravitated towards. It was just like you said, it wasn't a bunch of people getting drunk, being belligerent, making you know. It was all about people just. Drinking, talking, playing, all kinds of you know whatever, uh, horseshoes and darts and and just camaraderie. It just was it was so it was so nice that I that's what I you know I still carry that on today. When I you know I I've mentioned and I don't mean to take over your your story, but I want to just mention that I do this payday beer club, and a payday beer club is basically just hey it's time. It's payday. We started off on payday, and we worked hard for two weeks. And a lot of times you work with people, but you don't spend a lot of time outside of the workplace with them. And this was an opportunity to go and get away from work and spend that time with them. And We don't talk about work. We go after on a payday, and we just we buy beers, we, and we talk about family. We talk about current events, whatever it is, but we never talk about work. And it's just that social, that social experience that I crave so much and I enjoy so that now that it's even, you know, over the years, it's went from payday beer club to like every week beer club, you know, every Friday, you know, you can see me at the, at the Brewer's Haven having beers and talking to my buddies or whoever else is in that area that we've been chatting with for all these years. So um, I I just want to reiterate that, John, that's an important aspect of craft beer that I think a lot of people may also have in common with us or maybe they haven't seen that and they need to search out that type of experience.
1: Yeah. And I I think it it really helps bring in, you know, people that maybe don't even drink beer and don't have an interest, but it's a place that they can hang out and Mm -hmm. not feel, you know, intimidated by anybody, you know, around or, you know, if if it's really comfortable environment. so. So when did you actually get to try the craft beer? Did your parents
0: ever let you try it? Like not at the brewery, but you know, at home before you were of
1: age. Oh yeah, I I would have you know sips of things here and there, but uh, it, it took a while after I actually came of age to uh to to re-enter the scene. Uh, okay, you know I was a poor college student slumming yes. with the uh, <laughs> the the ten dollar twenty four packs, but yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, hey, I know I know exactly where you're coming from. That's I mean everyone goes through that stage. So, but going back to when you tasted it from your parents, when you first tasted craft beer, whatever age, I'm not gonna ask because it's not my business. But what was your first impression as a as a young person? Was the beer that they were letting you taste it was probably not as hoppy or you know or strong as they are now. Maybe you had a stout, but most of the time they were they were serving up pale ales and and maybe a or something. You remember what your first taste of of something your your parents were drinking that you
1: enjoy yeah I I don't remember what you know the first beer was um, but it, it was probably either a, a pale ale or like a scotch ale my dad oh. really enjoys uh, the scotch ales so but I, you know I I do remember you know I wasn't disgusted by it but also mm-hmm. you know I as a kid it wasn't something that you know I immediately you know fell in love with and need, needed to have more yeah um, yeah yeah it, it was you know very relaxed and a nice entry into, you know, what you can enjoy your alcohol in in a responsible way. So,
0: okay, good. Good. So, uh, just one other quick question. So when did you, as an, as an of age adult, uh, when did you start drinking craft beer again? Was it, was it not until at the end of your stages of college or was it after you got out of college, when you had a job, and you can actually afford good beer. When when was that transition period from just being able to drink college style beers to enjoying the beer
1: more? Yeah, it was more towards the end of college. I'd had a you know a couple work uh, like internship type things, and so I had a a little spending money. Okay. So um, yeah, and then once I was you know in the workforce full time, I was kind of a no going back okay type thing so excellent excellent
0: that's all I'll, I'll bug you for right now I'll I'll keep asking you questions as we continue through many many episodes so uh, I'll I'll get your whole story out before the end of time let's um it's now time for beers on the tab this is just a few of the notable beers that we've drank or we've purchased and we're going to go over a few of the ones that uh, I guess nobody on this podcast knows that John and I just got done spending uh, a few days this last weekend together. I just got back from a trip from Seattle, and John and I had the opportunity to spend several days together. During that time, we drank uh, many different beers that he brewed and that we, that he cellared and, and shared with me, some special beers. And we went to a pub and enjoyed some craft beers there. And, of course, on the last day that we were together, we actually homebrewed. A, a batch of beer, and we'll we'll save the maybe the content of that experience for another episode. But during that time, we we got to drink some beer. So I wanted to. We'll just name a couple of these that we drank. And the first one that I was very, I was very impressed with. Besides John's homebrew, by the way, John is a medal-winning uh home brewer, and and his beers are fantastic. So, uh, thank you. Danny. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say that because I have I haven't. I've enjoyed every beer that I've tasted from yours, and it and I think I've had at least how many, like nine? Nine or ten. Yeah, probably. Yeah, and they've all been great. So just wanted to say that. But of the non-John brewed beers, Anchorage Brewing, Rondi Brew Saison, uh, it was a special bottle that uh, I've had Anchorage Brewing before, but I hadn't had this one. And wow, that was that was a quite flavorful and enjoyable saison
1: with a little bit of brett dryness in there too yeah i had just a little bit of funk um, funkiness from that brett and then th- that lemongrass was all in oh, yeah. there you know which you jumped all over
0: i <laughs> you know what i i'm a sucker for lemongrass i'm a sucker for ginger too if you throw lemongrass and ginger in a beer i'm all over it and, I, and i'm not sure why i enjoy those too. Oh, and blood oranges too that's another one man i you know what? I just love all kinds of funky stuff in my beer. So, <laughs> But uh, I really appreciated that one. And now you've got me looking for it when it comes out this year. Uh, if I can find it in my area, I'm going to pick up a, a bottle. And w- Was that one aged very long or was it pretty fresh?
1: Uh, no, that one was pretty fresh. I think that was only six or seven months old. Okay. But you
0: can, you can age these. I mean, saisons are okay to age, right? You can age them for... A little longer or not? Yeah, a little little while. I, I wouldn't go too
1: long. Okay. But
0: yeah. All right. Yeah, so that was the first one I, that we we started off with our brewing. And then the, the next, this is not the next one we have, but the next one that I really appreciated was uh, another local, this was a local beer from the Seattle area, a brewer called Rubens Brews. I love the name because he he doesn't use the traditional brewing or brewery, brewery, he uses brews, so it's Rubens brews, and I kind of appreciate that. It's a it's a black imperial IPA, and that's like wow. I mean, it's it's a black, it's not a black IPA, it's a black imperial IPA. So it's a little bit of a play on the whole black IPA thing. Is it is it just an IPA with
1: with black malt in there, John, or is it something special you think? Yeah, I think it's just bigger, you know, more hops, more alcohol. I think that was, I mean, that was like eight and a half percent, I think.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty so. heavy. I, I don't remember cause I couldn't say, I didn't say the bottles or anything. Um, I did take pictures of them, I think. But, um, the other thing too, is that as I mentioned, uh, John and I have a, you know, this is a little bit of Homerism here. We have a little bit of, uh, uh, back and forth on what a black IPA or, or Cascadian dark ale should have a flavor <laughs> profile. And I even know, it's not supposed to have that little bit heavier roasted malt flavor. It's supposed to just have the coloring of the malt. It's not supposed to have that malt flavor in it. I do appreciate black IPAs that have that that finish. And guess what, John? This one
1: had some of that finish that I really enjoyed, so it, it did. And, you know, I, I don't think there's no place for that stuff in there. I just I don't think it should be the dominant feature yeah that's all
0: okay <laughs> I, i'll agree with that i'll agree with that uh the next one that we had when we were at the what was it called the horse and dog no pony and dog, dog and, and pony, pony. dog yeah. and pony pub in written uh it's a great little brew pub well not a brew pub it's like ale house it was an alehouse, house yeah. right That has a ton of beer and it was the airways brewing curbside porter and I love my porters and that that porter was fantastic. I, I think I sucked that thing down pretty quick. I I think we only had it for like maybe ten minutes and it was gone.
1: Yeah, uh, that one's full of chocolate yeah. flavors. Oh, it's, it's delicious.
0: Yeah, it was very, very tasty. And again, John said I would like it and he know he knows my taste. I did enjoy that a lot. And then the other one that John recommended was another this another local brewery called Elliott Bay Brewing. And this he said, "Hey, if you go to you know where I was going, there's this brewery, Elliott Bay, it's, it's, and you have another stout, no doubt stout. And the no doubt stout was very good, a stout just the way I like it. But you know what? They had a, a little bit of a, a variance of that. It was a no doubt stout with coffee. and I'll tell you what coffee stouts can be some of the toughest stouts to make to keep the bitterness balanced because a lot of those coffee stouts can that coffee can add such a bitter extra bitter flavor to the to the finish that it's just it's unbearable and makes it not taste very good but I'll tell you what their coffee they added just the right amount of coffee that gave you that that in your face coffee but without the bitter finish have you I know you've had the no
1: doubt but have you had the coffee version of it Yes, I have, and I actually I wanted to tell you about that beer, but I wasn't sure would if have it was it. something they would have on all the time, or if it was just a seasonal. I didn't want to get your hopes up, ah. um, because that it it is an excellent uh, adaptation of a, of a coffee stout. Yeah,
0: um, yeah, it was good, and my wife had a glass of that too, and she just adored it. She loves coffee stouts too. She absolutely loved it. And you know what? I'm going to save the other ones in my list for later because we're I don't want to run too long in this episode. Uh, but I will talk about. Uh, there's one thing we want to we want to talk. We're going to get into the beer tasting notes. We'll do uh, I'll do one and John will do one, so we'll have a, a, a little bit uh, of a example from each each of us. But one thing we want to start in the upcoming episode, starting with episode four, is we want to involve the listener into the show a little bit. And the way we're going to do that is we are going to do a beer tasting beer tasting notes in episode four based on the Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. It's a, it's a pale, it's like a leading, like one of the best pale ales, you know, that you can get across the nation. So I think anyone living pretty much across the entire United States should be able to find a bottle or two or a six pack of Sierra Nevada's Pale Ale. We're going to do a tasting notes on it next episode. We would like for you, the listener, to go ahead and pick up a six pack before that time and, as you're listening to this show and you're listening to our tasting to go ahead and taste it yourself. So as we describe what we're experiencing in this tasting, you'll be able to get the same feeling, you know, being at home. It kind of involves you into the
1: show. And this was John's idea and it was a fantastic idea. Yeah, I think this will help. You know, we've been talking about aroma and tasting and all these different uh, flavors and things you can pick up and kind of Developing that vocabulary is one of the hardest things, especially if you're by yourself, um, because you know a lot of times when you're drinking with a buddy or something, you're like, you know, I'm getting this something in the finish, and they mm-hmm. say it, and you, that's it, and now you have that association, yeah, and you can and you can call that out. So I think it'll it'll help help people, uh, you know, kind of figure out what they're what they're smelling, what they're tasting, you know, what the the beer is is you know all about. So yeah. No, I think that's great. That's, so
0: everyone, for episode four, and you, you've got like, uh, you know, from the time you listen to this, you've got two weeks to pick up a six-pack. <laughs> so <laughs> go get your six-pack. Go ahead and try one before the show, and you can try one while we're – and you can make your own notes. And then go ahead and try one while you're listening, and you can then see how your notes compare to ours. That would be a great way to be interactive with the show. All right, so my my beer tasting notes for this episode is going to be another beer from the Knee Deep Brewing. And remember, Knee Deep Brewing is that brewery out of Auburn, California, that has these triple IPAs. And you know, John mentioned you know after the first episode where I I said I don't even know if it's a real style or not. I still don't think it's a real style, although I think <laughs> people are actually brewing it and calling it a triple IPA because it's. But I haven't seen any official you know written. Statements saying it's a it's a real style that I, I it's, a, people, thing. it's, it's a, a thing. It's a thing. It's a thing. Okay, accept it. All right, I'll accept <laughs> it. So this this <laughs> this this triple IPA is called Simtra Triple IPA, and it's a eleven point two five eleven and a quarter percent alcohol by volume. So it's a very uh, high gravity IPA, and the IBUs the international bittering units. Are at one thirty one. That is freaking huge. One thirty one is huge. I mean, I yeah. I think I don't even know what the highest I, I think I think I've had some beers that labeled it at like one sixty or something. But I don't think it was really one sixty because that's almost I think that'd be too much to even drink. Yeah, that's
1: something we can talk about later. There's okay. a lot of uh, argument about. IBU numbers, okay. so that can be a topic that we cover another time. <laughs> hey, that would be great because I I do
0: see some fluctuations in it. But what's but the, the the bittering, even though it has a high number, this beer, as we'll talk about in the tasting, it doesn't really uh, exhibit that kind of bitterness because it's hidden with all the high amount of malts they have in there. So it's it's it, I mean it's really done well. I, I had a 22 ounce bottle of this and I poured it into a shaker pint glass. Uh, The the coloring, the coloring was like a clear golden amber coloring. I know golden amber sounds like, gee, is it golden or is it amber? You know, I don't know. I'm not a color, you know, I don't have a color eye. I'm just basing it off of what I look through. I I see that it's like, it's like, it's not as, it's not as dark as an amber, but it's not as light as a golden. It's like between the two. So I'm going (laughs) to call it a, a clear, not cloudy, a clear golden amber coloring. And it had very few bubbles. I'm talking. I don't even know if I saw a single bubble in there, and that worried me because I thought, "Wow, is this beer going to be flat?" Um, have you experienced any issues, John, with no bubbles at all when you when you drink a beer, or uh, is it just because I didn't have maybe the you know I didn't have
1: a glass that had the bubbling stuff, so I didn't really see the bubbles? That's possible. Um, I haven't had that issue with a. Uh a commercial beer. Okay. Um, I've screwed up my own homebrew before. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. All
0: right. Okay. So I just, I just wanted to note that I just, I thought it was odd that the, there wasn't a lot of bubbles, which is okay. I, I'm okay with, with a few bubbles, but it seemed like there was like no bubbles, but I think there was, I just, it might've been too thick for the bubbles to get through the, the mass of, of malt in there. Uh, it had a thin white head, uh, but the head disappeared right away. I mean I mean literally I'd pour the beer and the head was gone like before I looked I looked up and it was gone. It was that quick. It had a sticky lacing and as we learned from John that's from the proteins. There must have been a lot of extra proteins in that. So even though the head disappeared, it still stuck to the side of the glass and as I drank it was you know, it was kinda there, which was another odd thing. I don't understand how that happened because
1: I always associate lacing with a good head. And again, yeah, it's my experience. I I would say your your head issues there were related to the the lack of carbonation coming up. Okay. Yeah, you know, that's what forms it. That's what's in the head. It's all that CO2, so. Okay.
0: Okay. So maybe it's just a not very carbonated beer overall. That's that's okay. And uh, the nose, as we mentioned, the aroma, that's just that's the starter of our of our whole experience with our tasting. Uh very very strong piney hops, and I am a I love piney hops. My wife loves piney hops. We're North, we're Pacific Northwest kids, so we grew up with that in the hop in the IPA generation. Uh, and and you know what these these hops kind of came across like a like like they were wet hops. They weren't. They didn't come across like a dry, aromaly type. You know, flowery, citrusy. It was like piney, wet hop flavor or uh, aromas. Um, and there also was a little bit of, of spicy or peppery aromas in there. And I don't know if that was due to maybe the yeast they were using.
1: Uh, I'm not sure. That that can be a hop um, character as well. Okay. Certain hops. Okay.
0: Uh, and the front end, you know, we, I took my taste and all hop, hop, hops. I, a lot of hops, piney mostly. Although there was some fruity, kind of like grapefruit, like a lot of like a grapefruit um, citrus flavors in there. But you know what? It was very interesting because even though I had all those hops in my face, I also had that sense of the of the malt, the malt body in there, the sweetness. That was nice to have that that flavor in there also. So it wasn't just all hops in my face, it was also hops, but you had that feel of that of that sweetness in the malts too. It was kind of it was very pleasant. I really enjoyed it. And it made that kind of front end made the body feel like a full-bodied beer and and of course, it was a full body beer because there's a, a lot of malt in there too, right? Because it's, I mean, to get that kind of ABV, you got to have a lot of of malt body. Is that that's correct, right, John? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it left a filmy mouthfeel. You know, the mouthfeel felt like, uh, uh, like you know, left like a, a filminess, or st- maybe not stickiness, but just kind of like it left something still in my mouth even after I, I swallowed it. Uh, the finish, uh, very bitter. But you know what? It wasn't over the top. It was actually a very well-balanced beer for the 11% uh, alcohol. And and the beer hides it very well. Although in the finish, there was a certain times where I did feel a little bit of that booziness, the warmness at the at the finish in my throat. But it wasn't overwhelming at all. It was very mild. And in my opinion, this beer is tastes just like... One of the better barley wines you could you could buy. Uh, barley wines can be very temperamental. Whether you need to age it longer or you can drink it right away. I love breweries that actually tell you exactly when to drink a barley wine because if you if they don't tell you, you may not know. And so on the bottle of some of these barley wines will actually list, hey, best to store for six months to eight months and then drink or drink right away or whatever. So, but this is not a barley wine, although. John, could it be a barley wine with that type of alcohol? Uh,
1: yeah, I think some of these triple IPAs kind of flirt that line okay. of what a, what a barley wine is, um, especially an American-style barley wine, which tends to focus on hops more. Okay. So, okay.
0: Um, As I put in all our beer tastings, uh, would I recommend this for a new person to craft beer, a newbie? No way. Uh, even though it wasn't extreme on any of the cases, I think the flavor – and the, and the bitterness that does come out would definitely throw a new person like completely away from craft beer. So I, I would say if you're new to craft beer, don't start with this one. Work up to it. Recommended glassware is definitely any kind, you know, shaker or, or nonic pint. You know, it's a typical whatever you whatever you have. Just as long as it's it's got a, a nice opening for your nose to go in and suck up the. The the aromas and my rating is I highly recommend this beer. I you need to add it to your wish list and wait for it to come to your area because all the beers I've had from Knee Deep have been very good and I recommend this one also.
1: Okay, so my beer for today uh, I'm going to talk about uh, Tour de Fall. Um, this is a pale ale from the new Belgian brewing company out of Fort Collins, Colorado. Uh, So this is another one that I think a lot of people should be able to pick up. New Belgium is distributed, I think, nationwide. But uh, this is a 6% uh, pale ale with uh, moderate IBUs at 38. I picked up a six-pack of this and been drinking it just out of a standard shaker glass. (laughs) Um, It's got a copper color head, a nice... Solid head with uh, kind of mixed bubbles, just pure white color, and the uh, the nose. It's a uh, pretty uh, hop forward nose for a pale. Um, I kind of get a tropical mm. hop aroma, kind of a mango pineapple type thing. Oh, nice! With a, with a little little bit of citrus in the background, and then when you taste it, uh, I, th- I think those hops come forward. But then as it as you drink it and it kind of washes over I think you get you get this really nice kind of toasted bread biscuit type character from the malt hmm. um, that really balances out the hops really well and just kind of makes it really easy to drink beer and this has been my uh, my kind of go-to here the last week or two and I've got a standing order with my wife to pick it up it's a nice <laughs> deal um, at the grocery so but it's a, a medium body beer. Nice, crisp, clean finish. It, it doesn't really linger, so it, it's something. It's really to just sit and and drink, not really worry about anything. Mm-hmm. But uh, I would definitely recommend this for you know people new to craft beer. It's a a nice example of a pale ale, and gives you you know some hop character without any of that really aggressive hops, and and but still gives you that malt and kind of shows you how that can be a nice balance. So, yeah, I'd recommend just a, a normal shaker pint, nonic pint, glass. Um, and I, I would say definitely memorable. Keep it in your, in your fridge because that's what I'm doing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I'll practice know, what I preach. Yeah, you know what? You've convinced me with this beer tasting that I need to go out and get a six-pack because it sounds fantastic. It's just what I like in a pill. Definitely, definitely recommend it. Excellent. Let's talk about some notable news in the craft beer industry, and we're just going to talk about a few things quickly. We're not going to read through these articles, but I just want – there's a, a few articles that uh, struck out to me this this week or last couple weeks that um, I just want to talk about real quickly with, with John. And the first one is, again, I've been – in the last two episodes, in this episode two, three in a row, I've mentioned Knee Deep Brewing, a new brewery out of Auburn, California – and the first article is about them shipping their first beers out to Long Island, and I just want to mention that this is amazing that a a new start brewery, who's I don't think they're producing that many beers. I don't. I didn't see exactly how, what their range of what how many barrels they're putting out, but I don't think they're they're putting out that many. Uh, they are actually got a deal with the distributor that distributes out in in the New York area in the Long Island area uh, that they met in San Diego at one of the craft beer conferences in 2012. And this distributor enjoyed their beer so much that they were working to try to get them out to the East coast in that Long Island area. And now their beers will be distributed. And I just think that's incredible that such a small brewery can get their beers out to a new market. Now, is that going to help them? I, I don't know if it's going to help them because now, that, you know, it's hard to to transport beer. It's expensive to transport beer from from California to New York. That's a long haul truck drive. And luckily, their beers are a little bit higher on the, the alcohol and malt. I, I don't think it's going to lose too much of the, the benefit of of a little bit longer travel time. It's not. So far, their their beers haven't really been a lot of floral or aroma and flavorful hops. has been more of the piney-type hops, so
1: I don't know. It might work out, but it's just kind of a, a feel-good story. Yeah, and I think, you know, whenever a brewery's putting out great stuff and they can get more uh, more people in front of it, I mean, that's, that's great. I, I just hope that they, they can... Do this growth in a in a way that's sustainable um, and not ha- end up having a back. You know, a similar Russian River famously had to do that uh, mm, yeah. a couple of years ago. They pulled out of Washington because um, they didn't have enough beer to to serve their local market. So hopefully they they can keep up with demand and and just keep producing great stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah. I am hoping that you'll be able to. If you know, I'm already know that if uh, if I see another. Bottles of the of that Simtra for sure. I'm gonna pick it up and save it for, for that one day when you come and visit me, we'll drink it. <laughs> but it better be before it goes old. <laughs> yeah, you'll force my hand on that one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. the The next article I want to talk about is another distribution article, but this one is talking about the Schutz Brewery out of Oregon, and I I it, this is one of the the I mentioned it in my. Uh, how I got involved in craft beer thing that, that Deschutes makes Black Butte Porter, which is still one of my favorite porters. I, I can just drink that. It's, it's like a go-to thing. If I needed a porter to drink, I know I can count on that one being one that I'll appreciate. And they have been expanding quite a bit. Last, last year, they expanded out into the Ohio area. And um, let's see, they, they launched in Ohio, Kentucky, central and western Pennsylvania and Wisconsin. Uh, they said earlier this year – is that what uh, – I think maybe it was earlier this year. They they expanded there, and now they're going to the western portion of Michigan and distributing their beer there. So they're making a big push out to that east coast, and uh, I guess those are all east
1: coast. Like, is Michigan still considered east coast, John? No, no, that's Midwest. Is it Midwest? Okay. Yeah, and I, I actually was just out in the western port part of Michigan in Grand Rapids for the National Homebrewers Conference in June – and it is Grand Rapids, at least, is a great beer town, and tons of breweries around the area. Um, so, just good for them, more awesome beer.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, Grand Rapids, Kalamazoo, and Lansing areas; those are the three that they're gonna hit at first. And I just, I just want to say, I recommend. My, this is from me. John may disagree, but f- I'm sure he won't because I know he knows it. Just shoots a very decent brewery but anyone that can get to shoots if you if it comes to your area i recommend trying their beer uh they make they make ales and beers that are that that mimic the english style of of beers so they you know they won't taste like uh, i guess they won't taste like everything that you'll get on um, regular american style beers but they're, uh, but they're very enjoyable. And, and Mere Pond is, is a go-to pale ale that I can just suck down a six pack pretty, pretty quickly. And that's a, it's an English style pale that, that I really
1: enjoy. And don't forget your, uh, your winter habit of Ale
0: Oh, Jubilel. <laughs> and you know what? That was another story I didn't add in here because I didn't want to take up too much time, but Jubilel, they have unique artwork every year. And, um, the problem is, is that the beer sometimes it changes from year to year, and I don't know if they mean to change it from year to year. But some year, like last year, it wasn't as good as the previous years, so I don't know if they changed up the recipe or not. But Jubilee is one of my favorite winter winter ales that come out in the in, in the winter time. It's a winter warmer. Love it. So, do you, do you ever get Jubilel in your area, John?
1: Yes, yes, we get a lot of it, and uh, I'll I'll pick up a six pack every year at least.
0: Okay. Oh, good. That, then we'll we'll sh- we'll go ahead and do a, a shared rev- tasting notes on Jubilee this year yeah, because it's one of my favorites too. All right. The next article we're just gonna buzz through here. This is the Brewers Association that did a analysis on what or wait Brewers Association on why analysis paralysis in the beer aisle is a fallacy. Wow, that's a tongue twister. And basically, the Brewers <laughs> Association wrote up an article that is is questioning some uh, popular press or you know i'm guessing they didn't really say which press it was I'm guessing some newspaper newspapers that are saying that hey you know what having too many craft beer choices in the beer aisle is may not be a good thing and and people when they see too many things they just won't buy anything and they did. They're basing this off of not a beer study, but actually a jam study, on research based on people walking through a jam aisle, seeing too many choices of jam, and just deciding, you know what, I don't want jam. And I was just like, wait a minute, how can you base beer off a of jam? It didn't make any sense that that they're they're doing <laughs> that. Uh, but this article was was actually it's, it was kind of interesting, and I'm not going to read it, but you can find it on the the Brewers Association. Uh, homepage. It's under their insights and analysis section called A Cheers to Craft Beer Choices. But I, w- I just want to talk about, uh, they had three three issues or three things of why this is not uh, a problem for craft beer. So one of the things is choices can be aided by information is one of the things. And now beer drinkers have a lot of avenues to look at to find good, good beer. So you, you know, they list things like Um, of course there's beer apps like, and there's websites like, well, there's beer apps like untapped, but there's also websites like beer advocate, rate beer and, and untapped also on the web. They're able to use these to, to find out if a beer that's in the aisle is something that they may enjoy. And, and you know what? I'm one of those people. I always, you know, when I see something that I just am questioning, whether it's a brewery I never heard of, you know, that's introducing to our area. I'll go to these sites and I'll kind of just look and see what people are saying about it. And if I see that the beer is not getting that good of ratings, I may not make that purchasing choice to spend my hard-earned money on that at that point because I don't want you to know, take a chance. Now, if it's one bottle, if I can get it at, at the brew store or whatever, I can buy one bottle, I'll take a chance on one bottle. But when it comes to six-packs, it's hard for me to take a chance on a brewery that I either never heard of or that I've had bad experiences in the past
1: and actually – spend my money. Yeah. So I get most of my beers by the bottle. Um, okay. and so, yeah, I, I, will take a chance on pretty much anything at, at that state. Similar to you. I, I use untapped though all the time at the beer store, mostly mm-hmm. to figure out, have I What'd had you, this? Yeah. beer before. <laughs> yeah, <me too. laughs> because, Uh, I, I'm always looking to try new things and, you know, maybe there, there may be a couple options and I'll, you know, want to get that new experience. So. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So uh, the, the other thing they list is, Hey, craft, craft beer lovers really like variety and that's true you know i i had questioned in the past whether or not we needed so many new breweries opening and john put me in my place saying no you do need new breweries even if they're even if you have one or two that aren't making anything unique that you really need there's going to be three or four you know two or three other ones that are going to make something unique and you'll never be able to experience that if you didn't have those brewers brewing the beer to find a beer that you, that may become your all time favorite. And you know what, John, you, you make, you talk some sense into me and you completely changed my, my whole vision on that. Um, And this one here, I, I like variety. I like to taste things that I have never tried before. I like to see beers brewed with elements and ingredients that I would have never thought about putting in beer. And I think, most craft beer lovers are looking for that new flavor, that new beer that they haven't tried in the past. You
1: think that's true, John? Or are you? Yeah, I think for the most part, you know, people like variety. But you know, out here on the West Coast, especially in the Northwest, where we're in hop country, yeah, I know a lot of people out here that are IPA or nothing, yeah, and they they won't drink anything unless it's stuff full of hops. But yeah, yeah. you know what? There's a huge variety of IPAs, so they can (laughs) (laughs) enjoy all the different ones.
0: I'll I'll tell you what. You are absolutely correct. The IPA has changed so much just over the last few years. I mean, it's changed a lot over the last six years or whatever. But even over the last two years, IPAs are – there's so many varieties of different types of IPAs that have different flavors that – Man, you can you can still just be an IPA only person and still get a lot of variety. All right, the last one thing they mentioned is, hey, competition equals innovation, and innovation is delicious. And you know what? I cannot argue with that. Without competition, nobody is going to innovate to try to get you to come to their brewery and,
1: and drink their beer because they have something unique that no one else has. So, uh, yeah. That- I think this ties right back into the variety. I mean, mm-hmm. breweries got to fight to stand out now. There yeah. is a, a lot of beers on the shelf, yeah. So you've got to you got to be great, have a great product, and and you know, be something that people want to try. So. Yeah, I agree. I agree. All right, and the last
0: little article I want to talk real briefly on is a second brewery changes name from Double Barrel after Firestone Walker uh, orders a cease and desist letter. And this is just kind of curious to me because I don't understand how this is a trademark issue because I think it's two different things. But basically, there's a brewery in New York, and the brewery, it's a small startup brewery, just started, just started up a year ago. It's, it's less than a year old. They named the brewery Double Barrel Brewing Company. Now, this is a brewery name, Double Barrel Brewing Company. Firestone Walker, they have a beer a very well-known beer which is a very good beer by the way also called Double Barrel Ale and they had sent a, their lawyers sent a letter to this poor guy saying hey you're in violation of our trademark because our beer is named Double Barrel Ale and your brewery is named Double Barrel Brewing and they may people might get confused you know, our beer with your brewery. And so he they asked him to change the name. Well, this is a small guy. He just went ahead and did it. He said, oh, yeah, I don't want trouble. He doesn't have no money for, for a lawyer. He can't afford lawyers and to fight this thing. He's a small guy. And so he just went ahead and changed his name to the name. Basically, it's named after the town he lives in called Eastwood Brewing Company. And I just thought, wow, what a bunch of crap. I mean, I can understand if you name the beer the same thing. How can you force a, a a brewery to change their name just because they have a beer? A, their brewery name is similar to a beer, a, you know, just a, a, a regular beer,
1: not their brewery, just a regular beer name. It just seemed like it was ludicrous. Uh, no, he made the right choice in changing his name. Um, so he he had no history with this yeah. name. Uh, Firestone Walker has a trademark on the name Double Barrel, so that. So that,
0: So, wait, so if, if also that this guy trademark covers
1: shotguns? them, that, that trademark cover likely covers them in certain <laughs> industries, like <Okay>. alcoholic <laughs> beverages, all that. So, I mean, if a if a winery came out with a wine called Double Barrel, I, I Firestone Walker would be well within their right to go and, you know, send them cease and desist. And you have to protect your trademark or you yes. lose it. So no, I agree. Yeah. Um, and actually, Firestone Walker was on the receiving end of this. Um, with one of their uh, beers, um, Abacus. Uh, it's I believe a barley wine that they make, mm-hmm. and there was a winery that had been selling an Abacus wine, and they sent that they sent Walker a station and assist, and they had to change the name. Really? So now, I, now I think the name is Abacus backwards. I think it's like Subaca. Oh.
0: Um,
1: <laughs> but uh, yeah. So um, yeah, and this is a huge issue that's starting to come to head in the, in the beer industry. There's just so many breweries and so many different beers and there's only so many words. Yeah, so, yeah. um, yeah, it, I, I think this is going to be a common thread. Um, and you know, you, you hope that people can just work it out amicably and mm-hmm. it, it doesn't come to lawsuits, but you know, you, you, you got to protect your product at the, at the end of the day, it is, it is a business as much as we like to pretend it isn't.
0: Yeah. But. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know what, again, John, uh, John you have, uh, you're the man of reason and that makes perfect sense. I agree that that Fireson Walker has to protect their trademark. It just seemed but, and you know what you you made sense to the fact that it's in the industry as a name and it doesn't matter if you're a brewery or a beer or uh, the name of your growler or whatever you have to protect it if if it's being compromised. Uh, but what was interesting is this is a second lawsuit. About naming, with in you know, uh, the recent uh, times, uh, rogue brewing, Rogue L's, they were suing another New York brewery called Rogues Harbor Brewing, and it uh, this week or last week a judge dismissed the case because this Rogues Harbor uh, it was named after the I think it was a Rogues Harbor uh, uh, I think it was a pu- I think it was a pub. Pub in a hotel or something like that, and it said it had been, it had been uh, established for long enough that it that it was valid.
1: Um,
0: I don't know right. enough so, details.
1: Yeah. So likely they were able to prove that you know in our area, people associate rogue with our in, not this beer. Yeah. Know, we've been around this long, and and if you if you can make these cases, you you can have, uh, you know, you can you can win these, but and and likely it ends up being that. You know you're allowed to use it within this certain region that you've already established yourself, mm-hmm. but outside of that, you may have to operate under a different name or get licensing with the other brewery that has the trademark. So okay,
0: all right, uh, excellent. Well, you you definitely uh, you said you were going to challenge me on it, and you did a good job. <laughs> all right, all right, John. Well, guess what? It's uh, time to do some shout-outs. Do you have any? You have any? You want to raise your glass to anyone and give and give a few toasts.
1: I, I think just one for tonight, and uh, that would be to you uh, oh. for inviting me on here. And it, you've told the story that you you came out to Seattle trying to convince me to, <laughs> to come on the show. And in a similar way, when you came out to Seattle, I was trying to figure out how I would weasel my way onto the show. So it it worked out well for both of us. So.
0: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Well, then I'll go into my shout-outs because my first shout-out is to you, John. When I was putting this show together, my thought was I would start it off on my own and I would eventually, I would either convince you or you would just say, you are so wrong about everything, I need to come on and, and straighten you out. So I figured that eventually you'd be on the show. So It
1: would have only been a matter of time for that.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I do want to do, wanna do a, a cheers to you for, for making the – the uh, the effort and the time to uh, do this podcast with me and I, I it, it's going to be that much better having the two of us be able to interact with one another than to have me be the sole man of words so it'll be it'll be good uh, I also want to thank uh, one of our listeners Sponge he did an iTunes review for us and I was shocked that after the first episode I actually got an iTunes review uh, I was hoping that no Reviews would, reviews would come out until after like four or five shows before they can see, you know because the first show is always the hardest. But uh, it was a positive review. Thank you, SpongeBobbies. I really appreciate it. A little cheers to you. Now, also to Meef Jay, another listener and a longtime friend for his continual standing by me with all my endeavors, no matter what it is, no matter what podcast or what side project I'm doing, he's always supporting. I really appreciate all the support he gives me and our show. And, of course, I want to do a a huge thank you to the Open Forum Radio Network for supporting the show and providing a hosting space at openforumradio.com. Please visit the site and find out all the great shows they have to offer, like the OFRcast, which discusses the multitude of topics in a fun and community-oriented fashion, the 40 Cast, a podcast near and dear to my heart and John's heart, um, I was, uh, as I mentioned, a former longtime host, and without that podcast, John and I would not be sitting here together, or we would, or neither would we even be friends. We would have probably never even met each other if we didn't have that podcast. So I really appreciate my time on the 40Cast, and it's a great show. focuses on gaming, sports, entertainment topics in a friendly roundtable format with alcohol involved, and it's a fun time guaranteed. And just a little side note, episode 205 has me on there, talking about this podcast and about my trip to Seattle. So uh, if you want to try it out, go ahead, 205. Also, Prove Your Point, a debate-centric podcast discussing current news and controversial topics. And, of course, being a former serviceman, I want to raise my glass and thank all those who have served and who are currently serving in the U.S. military services protecting our freedoms. I hope those deployed are able to return home safely very soon. And if you would like to contact the show, you can reach us through email at tapthecraft at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at tapthecraft or leave comments on the show post on openforumradio.com or Google Plus. Just search for TapTheCraft. You can follow me personally on Twitter, Instagram, and Untapped at
1: Loose Screw and Google Plus at Denny Loose. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at Prime Brewing on untapped. Uh, username is uh, Prime W-A. And you can also check out my blog where I talk about brewing. Um, and actually, you'll see a post about uh, Danny and I's brewing adventure over at uh, homebrewengineer.com.
0: Yes. that uh, I just discovered that site today and absolutely great information on it. I look forward to all the 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 post that you end up doing on that blog. So yeah, homebrewengineer.com for sure.
1: All right, John, anything else? I don't think so. Not from me.
0: All right. Then it's last call. It's time to bring the show to a close. Thank you for downloading and listening to the show. We hope you were able to find something useful and we welcome you to subscribe to the show on iTunes or Stitcher Radio. The frequency of the show is an episode posted every two weeks. And that's it for this episode. And remember, friends don't let friends drink light, yellow-fizzy beer. Quality craft beer can be enjoyed by all, so spread the word and convert the beer ignorant.